Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Changing Politics. I'm Marie LeConte. And I'm Grania Maguire. This is a podcast where a French journalist and an Irish comedian talk about the week's news until we all feel hopeless. And then we explore one subject in depth and explain how you can help fix it. Not going to lie, it can be pretty emotionally manipulative. So please subscribe, rate and review. We also have a Twitter account at Changing Polypod and a Facebook page, Changing Paul, if you want to keep in touch because this is the last show for a bit. Yes, we're taking a few weeks off. And not just because last week we asked you to send us your campaigns and none of you did, but also because it's summer and there's not much politics. Also, I'm performing at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe for the next three weeks, which is why this episode sounds a little bit different. We're recording it in my flat. In in the bedroom of my flat. <laughs> for the next few weeks, we'll be releasing the bits of the show which explain what you can do to make a difference as standalone episodes so you won't have to wade through out-of-date news stories to hear them. They're really good and we hope they inspire you to get involved. So let's get on with the show. What's been in the news? Okay, so I've been in Edinburgh focusing on my show. I forgive you. Please like me. Gilda Balloon, 315, 241 ticket, 6th and 7th of August. So I probably need you to explain what's been going on in the real world. Marie, what's been happening? Well, actually, you know, you will be extremely surprised to find out that the Tories are talking about, you know, sit down if you're not, you know. <laughs> Grammar schools, it's like fucking politics in this country at the moment is basically Groundhog Day. But anyway, so yeah, they've been talking about grammar schools again. Something I've always been meaning to ask, what are French grammar schools like? I've always guessed they're probably a lot harder, what with all those irregular verbs. (laughs) I'm not going to even dignify this with a response. (laughs) But do you find the grammar school system in England a bit weird? It's basically where these schools, they take all the the cleverest children and put them in one school and then everybody's like oh wow these schools are so much better it is definitely an issue and I think that but actually it's kind of comparable I think in France where we do have the you know the state schools which are actually good actually there's kind of like a bit of a practice where if you're not good enough they'll basically kick you out you know you're not going to be able to kind of like stay even though it's a state school and so actually and then yeah I mean it's a similar thing we end up those state schools would have like amazing results at the baccalaureate and stuff like amazing stats and it's like well yeah because that you you kick everyone else out (laughs) that's why Mm. and yeah I I just don't see how you'd want more of that really I remember seeing a documentary about a French school and it was this little girl called Madeline and they loved 
their bread. They love their butter. But you know what? Most of all, they loved each other. I thought that is, that's a way to form an educational system. So... <laughs> so I'm high on Baroque. <laughs> so basically, grammar schools are the perfect conservative policy. Rather than helping the many disadvantaged pupils, they select the brightest, the few, and elevate them. And then those people become poster boys for what the conservatives can do for poor people. So they're basically big factories designed to create as many John Majors as possible. And as soon as I say that out loud, I realise how terrifying that is. <laughs> Unless you're Edwina Curry, am I right? (laughs) (laughs) The John Majors are approaching. John Major. A John Major in every house. So according to a BBC report, there are 11,000 more grammar school pupils in England than there were in 2010. So it's either a systematic increase across the entire country or just one school that's gotten really lax with class sizes. Do you think it's this, it's a popular policy, isn't it, with sort of the conservative base? It is, and I think because, again, actually, as you said, in a kind of jakey way, but I do think it's the case of people who came from quite sort of like modest backgrounds and ended up going to grammar school and then actually did really well in life. And they're like, actually, you know, why shouldn't people who come from similar sort of like working class backgrounds not have access? Why should they not have access to what, you know, what I had? But I do think that, yeah, the issue is that, A, in that case, why not just make state schools better in general? Even though, obviously, yes, it will cost more money and it will take longer. But actually, that's, I think, the only way to do it. Because also, and I've, I've read many quite heart-wrenching articles and tweets and everything from people actually who are like, well, I took the test to try and get into grammar school. And, you know, I didn't get it. And, you know, and actually that as a child, that actually hits you quite hard to be Mm. like, okay, well, you know, you're not just poor, you're too thick to get a good education. Mm. Um, And also with stories about, you know, kids, like several kids in one family and one of them who gets into a grammar school and the other one who doesn't. And actually that does split those families for the foreseeable future. So I think it comes from a good place. But at the end of the day, it's just not going to work. It's not a sustainable solution. Luckily, in Ireland, our situation is much simpler because the Catholic Church just runs all our schools. That sounds great. Yeah, it has not caused any problems at all. <laughs> so, how any has has your dashing Disney prince president been up to anything exciting? Well, I mean, France is kind of on fire at the moment, but it's fine because lucky, lucky Emmanuel is going to go on a short holiday with Theresa and Philip May. What, just him? Or <laughs> other I think I think his wife as well. Just a, a nice kind of, you know, four-person holiday. That sounds completely normal. I know, yeah. So could it be that this entire country's economic future depends on Theresa May's ability to successfully organise a fun mini-break? <laughs> Pretty much. Because I think, you know, they are going to be talking about Brexit. But it's quite interesting because famously, you know, Brigitte is quite sort of older than Emmanuel Macron. She's basically the same age, I think, as the maze. Oh and so it's just God. kind of going to be like, yeah, going on a holiday with your parents, but with three parents. Do you um, think he'll be made join the kids club? I'm going to have to go to bed early. <laughs> but actually, that being said, because I remember the pictures when May went to the Elysee for the first time. And actually, it was really, really like, because he does have that really, like, flirtatious thing, you know, which mm. he does with basically, you know, men, women, everyone. Um, <laughs> He's thirsty. And the pictures, yeah, the, the pictures, thirst is real. <laughs> <laughs> the pictures genuinely look like engagement pictures. I'd recommend people to Google it. It looked like, you know, they were just, yeah, sort of, like, happily engaged. And actually, Theresa May looked quite comfortable around him and was clearly sort of, like, giggling and stuff. So I'm not sure what's going to happen in that villa. But, uh... Oh. <laughs> so it's this idea they're using it to try and sort of build relationships to make sure that 
the UK gets a good deal on Brexit. Yes, and I think that actually politically it is quite astute, even though so on the one hand I think that trying to go over the head of the commission and try mm. to talk to the member states, I'm not sure that's going to work. I mean, actually, no, I'm pretty sure that's not going to work because there's a reason why Barnier is in charge of the negotiations. But that being said... Emmanuel Macron specifically, he's a man who's never met a power vacuum he didn't like. <laughs> and, you know, and he wants, he knows that Merkel is probably going to go at some point. He knows that there will need to be a big figure, mm. a big influential figure in the EU at some point soon. Mm. He wants to be it. He's failed so far. Mm. I think, you know, he kind of came in with like with his big ideas and his big plans. That's what we're going to do and stuff. And everyone's a bit like, you know, you're nice. You know, just <laughs> go back to your member state, go back to your country that, you know, let us deal mm. with this. So I reckon that actually from his point of view, it's not the dumbest thing to try and solve Brexit because then, you know, that's probably his dream of then being able to go back and go, motherfuckers, <laughs> Macron did it again. I've solved Brexit. Make me president of Europe. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Another news. So you know how every episode we kind of up until now, we used to do a thing about guess what Boris Johnson's done now? Because, oh my God, he's foreign secretary. So and on the bright side, obviously, he's not foreign secretary anymore. Jeremy Hunt has taken over. On the other side, Jeremy Hunt has already done his first gaffe, you'll be happy to hear. He was in China talking to dignitaries and uh, talked about his wife, who is Chinese, it happened. So, you know, quite quite nice kind of like conversation starter, Mm. you know, just said his wife was Japanese. (laughs) His excuse was quite good. He tweeted afterwards, he was like, rule one as a new foreign sec, when reflecting in English with the Chinese on a conversation you had with them in Japanese about your Chinese wife, don't get any of those mixed up. That's a good apology, but also full of so many humble brags. It's like, <laughs> guys, I just speak so many languages, just with my hot Chinese wife. Sometimes it gets a bit confusing. <laughs> in fairness to him, he's given quite like sweet interviews in the past about his kind of relationship to that, because I think he dated this Japanese girl when he was younger, mm. became obsessed with Japan. So went to Japan, learned his, yeah, like fluent in Japanese, and then I think went back or whatever, and then met a Chinese woman and fell in love with her and etc. And he was like, oh God, you know, wrong language, like in a neighbour country. (laughs) And then so did a proper traditional Chinese wedding. And if I remember correctly, he had to have a translator there because his Chinese was not good enough at that point. His Mandarin was not good enough at that point. So he did not know what was happening at his wedding. Damn Jeremy Hunt for living in sort of a Richard Curtis rom-com. I know, I know. (laughs) The only thing is, I can't help feeling if Boris Johnson had been Foreign Secretary and had made that gaffe, confusing Chinese people with Japanese people, he probably would have done like the eye gestures as well. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we got off kind of lightly with Jeremy Hunt. (laughs) What is it, do you think, about the foreign secretary, the foreign office that turns people into gaff-prone racists? <laughs> do you think there's some weird asbestos in the building? <laughs> I've been at the FCA before. That explains a lot. It's not my personality, after all. <laughs> I'm blaming the foreign office. So surely that must be the last story we have this week about sort of like privileged white men doing stupid things. My friend, you will be happy to hear that it is not. So we learned a while back that Jacob Rees-Mogg had been in contact with Steve Bannon. You know, as you know, so like his full title, white supremacist, creepy motherfucker, Steve Bannon. <laughs> Old two shirts. <laughs> and uh, But yeah, it turns out Steve Bannon has also been in contact with Michael Gove quite a lot. And Ooh. they were texting and everything. Yeah. So not ideal. And with Boris, actually. So yes, that that's just a nice reassuring kind of thing, really. You know, when like we talked about not that long ago, saying that you know it was mad how much the Overton window had shifted yeah. in the sense that Steve Bannon just did interviews in the UK because that's the thing we do now. But no, apparently it's even worse. He's in touch with actual cabinet ministers. At what point do you think this country will stop thinking of Gove 
Mog, Boris Johnson as like these fun, silly, posh idiots. Like when you think of what they've done, they've brought the country to its knees. They've lied. They've caused this Brexit catastrophe that's, you know, it's not turning out as much fun as everybody thought. And yet st- they're, now they're hanging out with like proper real life fascists. And still, the way they're reporting the press, you think they're just like Prince George from Blackadder III. <laughs> I also feel like they're just giving, you know, us fun, silly, posh idiots a bad name. <laughs> so that, no, that was staring me in the face. French posh idiots. You guys are fun. <laughs> <laughs> you have a bit of class about it, these guys, because it's like they had that sort of patriarchal, you know, I'm posh, I use long words, I speak Latin. Is that enough to cover up hanging out with fascists? Like how good do you have to be at Latin to justify <laughs> hanging around with Steve Bannon. Like I did learn Latin for quite a long time, but I've forgotten most of it. And I feel like I only remember a few words and a few like verbs and stuff. Mm. Maybe I could like shake hands with a white supremacist or something, <laughs> but that's it. I can get away with a lot more. But the stuff Steve Bannon has said in public, so God knows what he thinks in private, and the fact that like these are all at the, at the heart of government. You know, they're former Michael Gove in the cabinet Boris Johnson possible next leader Jacob Rees-Bogg really popular with the grassroots conservative and they're hanging out with somebody who five years ago might have been banned from entering the country but actually on that note I would like to say you know because I'm obviously you know sort of very humble and very you know classy woman that uh, the Telegraph had a piece a few days ago talking about how you know conservative MPs were starting to rally around Boris Johnson, which kind of sounds like something we talked about last week, which I revealed last week in the podcast. So, uh, so there you go. In your face, the Daily Telegraph. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> they need to stop getting all their scoops from our podcast. <laughs> I mean, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Did you subscribe? <laughs> so. Marie, this is going to be our last podcast for a while. We're going on a little hiatus over the summer. I'm performing in Edinburgh. You're heading back to your chateau in France, I think. <laughs> Naturally. Uh, what do you think is going to, what do you think, is there any going to be any developments over the summer? What do you think we're going to be talking about when we come back in September? What will be the big stories? Well, I think it's actually going to be quite unpredictable, like most things, because especially on the conservative side, because on the, you know, on the one hand, obviously you do get Tory MPs who kind of do go back to their constituency, are away from Westminster, maybe don't talk to each other as much. And a lot of them will go on holiday for a bit because, you know, they're only human. You'd think that might be good news for Theresa May because then, you know, they kind of come back with like clear heads and pure hearts and go, you know, <laughs> with, with a lot more optimism, I guess, or like goodwill. But on the other hand, it does mean they will spend more time around their like conservative local associations mm. and obviously lots of them overwhelmingly not just supported brexit but actively want a hard brexit and so actually they're gonna have to spend a lot of time around people who are just like you know why are we not going for no deal mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so i'm not entirely sure i think mps will probably come back a bit refreshed but also there's still i think a risk that they'll go actually you know what i've talked to my association they're furious so this mm-hmm. is not going to work checkers is not going to work anything resembling checkers is not going to work so you think they'll be radicalized by all the uh, the women's institute meetings <laughs> they'll be attending <laughs> over the summer holidays <laughs> tweed overdose and uh... they'll come back saying no deal is better than a bad deal <laughs> oh, where would they get ideas like that from <laughs> And do you think there'll be much drum drums for Labour over the summer? I do know that, and 
I'm not going to name them, but a group of Labour MPs have decided to go on a group holiday during Labour conference because they're like, you know what, fuck that. <gasps> Nothing's going to happen there. It's going to be a mess. We're just going to go like in the sun for a while. Oh my God. So we'll know. Okay, so this is a scoop. Watch the first PMQs after Labour conference. See who's got the, the, the <laughs> most obvious tan lines. You know, they're the ones that pissed off to, to Ibiza for the week for a little mini break. See who's still on a come down. So, <laughs> wearing sunglasses in the chamber. <laughs> but then on the other hand as well, there's still the kind of growing rumours about a breakaway party and actually, you know, kind mm. of centrist Labour MPs leaving. And I'm not sure, but it, it's been one of those like really interesting things, actually, like a kind of like good case study on how the Westminster rumour mill works, where I'll go up to people and be like, actually, what have you heard about this like potential new centrist party? And they're like, I don't know, what have you heard? And then I'll go to other drinks, they'll go like, so Marie, I've heard that you've heard about the new centrist party. And it's like, no, no, I, you've heard that I've talked about it because I keep asking people if they've heard about it. And so I think we've all been, you know, journalists, Labour people, even Tories, that everyone has just been going around to everyone else going, so what have you heard? Because I'd heard that you'd heard that. Um, so genuinely no idea if it's happening or not at this point. Like it, 50-50. 50-50. Well, I can give you an exclusive. I've heard there is going to be a new centrist Labour breakaway party, but goes to a different school. You just don't know them. <laughs> so what do you think will be the big stories when we come back? What the next political school year, what will people be talking about? Brexit. <laughs> Brexit. God, you made me say the B word. Um, <laughs> I think the immigration row is going to have to come back at some point. I'm not sure if they're going to try and do it later this year or I think it might be, if I remember correctly, they might have kicked the can down the road and it's going to be only like next year. But yeah, immigration has still not really been debated around Brexit. Mm -hmm. That's going to have to happen and that's going to be a mess. So I reckon like definitely that as well. So yeah, like Brexit in general, immigration in particular. And then yeah, that all, all, all the Brexit bills are coming back to the Commons anyway after conference season. So all of that fun. I'm just looking forward to it so much. It's going to Throw myself at the window quickly, but apart from that, you know, just, just Conway, Conway. So do you think Theresa May will be around for all of this? I'm not sure. I think it's going to be a tough time because, like, talking to people, you know, like, reasonably high up in the Conservative Party, what they said, we you know, A, they genuinely were not sure. Like, there were about a week, 10 days where they genuinely thought, you know, actually Theresa May might be about to go. And obviously, clearly that did not happen. So I think the thinking is basically if she can make it, you know, like two conference will probably be fine. Actual conference will almost certainly be held because, again, a lot of those Tory members will be there. Because, you know, obviously, like in Labour, if you go to conference, you can vote on stuff. Mm -mm. So the Tories, you can't even vote. So literally, these are people who have paid hundreds of pounds to just watch speeches by cabinet ministers. So, you know, they're, they're the hardcore. They're wow. The, yeah. Wow. They're all somehow having Do done they a have a dating few. night? I mean, <laughs> these sound like catchers. <laughs> there is an LGBT Tory disco. Um, that's, a, that's a thing I've never been to. Weirdly, as well, I feel like having been a few times now, but like they're all somehow 17 or like 83 <laughs> <laughs> and nothing in between. But anyway, so yeah, so for that conference basically might end up blowing up. And you know, I don't know if you remember, but last year, that was around the time when, you know, we thought that Boris was perhaps about to launch a coup. Yeah. You know, will he do that again? Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But yeah, so I think the thinking in the Tories is like, if we, if Theresa May can survive until Christmas, then she's probably fine. But that stretch from kind of like September to Christmas is going to be the tough one. God, that was one grim advent calendar she's going to have. <laughs> Every day she opens it up. I'm still here. Like, yeah, like each time we kind of, you know, like at first just like, quite a small glass of gin and by the end just like a bottle to down just to be like nearly there nearly there 
If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This week, we're talking about Brexit. I don't know if you've heard about it. <laughs> and how best to stop it from destroying the country. This section will be presented entirely by... Me. Yes, I'd love to stay, but you're going to be talking about how to stop Brexit. And actually, you know, I am a reporter. Like, this is what I get paid for, believe it or not. <laughs> um, you know, most of the time. So actually, like, this is not really something I can get involved in. Obviously, <laughs> you're like, take a side in any sort of way. Well, luckily enough, I'm not an impartial journalist. I'm a super partial comedian. So whereas Marie would have to say stuff like, oh, Brexit, it is a difficult situation. <laughs> And we have to cover all sides. Wee wee. Is that what I sound like? You witch. I shall Didn't say I even this. Say, ho, 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 which I famously say a lot. That's my catchphrase. She shall say that only once. <laughs> Should we just stop doing a political podcast and you can just do a really bad French accent? Because generally I'm loving it. So <laughs> that's Marie out of the way. I can say stuff like, okay, you may need to cover your ears for this, but Fine. Marie. Brexit is a total disaster and we have to put the brakes on it as quickly as possible. Because with Marie, you can complain to Ipso, but with me, what are you going to do? Who are you going to complain to? Who's the Ipso of comedy? Michael McIntyre. So best of luck with the section, guys. I'm going to go and sit in another room and just read over the impartiality guidelines of the BBC and praying I can still get invited back onto the telly. So... Brexit. I mean, it's going great. I mean, between proposals to turn most of Kent into a lorry car park, stockpiling medicines and the army having to get used to give out food to people, it's clear that it's progressing nicely with seven months to go before the big day. 
What with all these nightmarish stories about chaos in Northern Ireland and the odds of a catastrophic no deal, there's a growing number of people who think we should think again about the decision to leave the EU. People are allowed to change their minds. That's why we have divorce courts and return policies. It's also why I don't lock the doors to my comedy gigs and scream, nobody can leave for the next 45 minutes. You bought a ticket, growing at one, get over it. Although at the start of the French, that's not actually that bad idea. In the worst case scenario, if Brexit does happen, I think it could be like a Mr. Rochester in Jane Eyre kind of vibe. You know, where Mr. Rochester is with Jane Eyre, but he always feels like he's slightly too good for her. And then he gets blinded by the fire. And then when she comes back, he's so grateful. But what I'm saying is, the UK, do you have to get blinded by the fire to appreciate that being in the EU maybe isn't that bad of a deal? Anyway, one of the people fighting against Brexit is surrealist comedian turned marathon runner turned pro-EU campaigner Eddie Izzard. We caught up with him to gauge exactly why we should be thinking about thinking again. Humanity has to go forwards. We cannot go forwards if we're going backwards. Brexit is backwards. So from this point of view, I think a third referendum is inevitable. It just is inevitable because, you know, the first referendum, of course, everyone knows, 75. We won 66 to 34, eight and a half million. Uh, majority, uh, Margaret Thatcher voted for it. So that, and 40 years, the whining right went on for 40 years and they got it down to 52-48. And as Farrar said, if it's 52-48, you must carry on fighting. That's what Farrar said. Um, he thought he might be the other way around, but this is, this is it. So this is not the end of politics. It's just one battle. It's just like back in the 30s, the far right was there again. And uh, if, when France fell, did Churchill give up? No, he just kept on pushing. So we pushed and fought against the the right wing back then, we fight against the right wing now. Roosevelt carried on fighting and Churchill carried on fighting and we must carry on fighting. This is the idea that the only logical move after Brexit and separation is more separation of the United Kingdom, separate those bits out, separate England, North and South, Wessex, Mercia, break it down into tribal parts. It's tribalism. That's the only way it goes. And that's not the way for humanity. No. Fair enough, you might say. Of course, Eddie Izzard, massive Europhile, would want another referendum. But it's not just people who voted Remain in the first place that are clamouring for a new referendum. Increasingly, as the consequences of Brexit become clear, unions are starting to get nervous. Frequently, Brexiteers will talk about the will of the people fighting against out-of-touch elites. But what about the very real people whose economic security will be ruined by Brexit? We spoke to Manuel Cortes from the transport union TSSA to learn more. As a socialist, I want to create a more equal society. And that means rebalancing our economy so that more people benefit from it. I am sure that those people who were left behind were looking for any excuse and for anything to scapegoat because clearly they've not had a good time. But the fault for this does not lie with Europe. It lies in Westminster. I'll give you a very clear example of this. There's been some people on the left, so-called Lexit, saying that one of the reasons we need to leave the European Union is so that we can increase state aid. I don't know if you've seen the government white paper about the future relationship, but the government in that actually is making a song and a dance of the fact that we as a country, we as a country, only use 0.3% of GDP in state aid. That is a choice of Westminster. The average for the EU is 0.7%. But actually, countries such as Germany 
are spending five times as much as we do in state aid, 1.5 billion. There is nothing in the EU stopping us from doing that. The other issue that, that has been put forward is that we cannot bring, for example, our railways back into public ownership, something our union is passionate about. Well, hello, smell the coffee. Chris Grayling has just nationalized the East Coast main line. And before that, if you will recall, prior to the general election in 2015, the Tories sold the East Coast main line. Why did they do that? Some people were saying that even an incoming Labour government will have to put it back in private hands because the EU would not allow them to keep it in public ownership. I contest that the reasons why the Tories sold it off before the election is because Ed Miliband had said he would keep it in public hands and they knew that the EU would do nothing to stop him from doing so. But I think there is no political will at the moment to confront the real problems that Brexit is creating. It's leading to a more hostile environment in Britain. We had a disgraceful referendum campaign where migrants were scapegoated. It's also leading to people within the right of the Tory party thinking that they can convert Britain into a deregulated paradise. I am a leader of a trade union. I'm not in the business of giving people's rights away. So moneyed Brexiteers like Rhys Mogg and Gove will be fine no matter what happens with Brexit. It's the ordinary people like you and me who will suffer if we don't get the right deal. And at this point, we're not getting the deal Brexiteers promised because that deal doesn't exist. We are running out of time. At this rate, we'll leave the EU in March 2019. And even with a transition deal, which will allow things to carry on as normal, Britain cannot change its mind after March next year, so we will have to move quickly. But we can't just get a second referendum and hope for the best. We have to work hard to actually explain why Britain should stay in the EU. Here's Manuel and Eddie on how we have to actually fight for those values. Well, I think what people can actually do is firstly that they keep themselves informed on what actually leaving the EU means for them, the family and the friends. The second thing they can do is to ensure that they are out in the streets whenever there is a demonstration against leaving the EU. And the third thing, and this is equally as important, is that they lobby their MPs. Because, you know, there's actually no majority in the House of Commons for leaving the EU. The fact that they seem scared by the mass media is something that we, the people, can help our politicians overcome. But practically, it is really difficult. You can't actually go in there and say, we're going to change this, we're going to change that. You should sign up for the people's vote. I think Gary Lineker just signed up for the people's vote. The idea that there should be a, a deal going through on separation and no one has a word in it and you don't know what kind of deal it is because, you know, that 5248 was not a vote for a hard and vicious Brexit. So a people's vote, sign up for that. And just individually in your lives, if, if Britain, is, the little Englanders are trying to say that Britain should hide, be isolationist, stick our heads in the ground, pull your heads out of the ground, get active, get out there, join up and, and fight. And, and in, your, in your lives, culturally, business-wise, start to make links. Because, I, you know, if, if, if the situation continues as it is, it's next March, I think, that everything starts falling apart. So before then, start making links in Europe. Start your businesses out in Europe. Start doing gigs in different languages. Start putting the fields. Just do stuff, whatever you can do on your own, and sign up for the people's vote. And 
and let's be positive about it and push forwards rather than negative and, and stick our heads in the ground. We need to get out there and to talk to Leave voters. We need to listen to their legitimate concerns, NHS funding, poverty, crumbling city centres, but also challenge them on the misinformation that is out there on immigration, on sovereignty and what the EU actually does. If you study humanity over the years, we gradually learn to live together work together in some shape or form. And that's what the European Union was there for, set up after World War II, to stop world wars happening. That was said as inflammatory during the last referendum. But of course, the First World War was called the Great War, the war to end all wars. Oh no, there's another one. And so that's why they set up the European Union. Did it work perfectly? No. So you try and mend it, make it better rather than running and hide from it. Brits don't quit. But the right wing said, yes, Brits do quit. They run and hide, they stick their heads in the ground. And he's right. Annoyingly, he's right. Brits don't quit. Here are some ways Brits don't quit. You guys stay out for 12 hours on holiday and get horribly sunburned and yet you still refuse to put on sun cream. You'll drink 12 pints, throw up in an alley and then go straight back into the bar for more shots. You keep entering Eurovision and the rest of Europe keeps voting for weird Romanian children's entertainers instead of you and yet you still won't quit. So we just need that kind of energy and passion again. You can get involved by going to anothereurope.org or peoples-vote.uk and signing up. Can I come back in yet? Yeah, we're done. So I suppose that's us for this run. We hope you enjoyed the funny bits and got involved with the serious bits. We'll be back in a wee while, but until then, as we said, we'll be releasing all the features a standalone podcast for you. So download them, listen and get involved. Bye. Bye. <laughs>A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.